0: Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. Welcome back listeners friends and modelers to the last show of 2020 dave and i hope to have been a bright spot for you in this ruinous year and we want to thank you all for joining us along on this adventure that we kicked off back in january we would also like to wish you and yours a very merry christmas and look forward to having you join us again in 2021 so let's wrap up 2020 and get on to episode 27 of plastic model mojo Well, Dave, we've finally made it to the last episode of 2020. Can you believe we've been at this a year?
1: No, I cannot, man. Time has flown by. Uh, uh, Well, between that and the pandemic, keeping us penned up in our houses, uh, uh, I got to say, we couldn't have started this at a better time to keep my sanity and my model mojo.
0: Uh, Same here. And we've been getting that kind of response from a lot of our listeners. Um, What's been going on in your model world here in the last couple of weeks?
1: Well, uh, progress, which is unusual for me. Uh, All right, write your own joke there. But uh, normally from Thanksgiving to New Year's Day, I actually have a nickname for it. It's the dark period because due to family demands and the holiday demands and everything, I usually get no modeling done between thanksgiving and the new year uh this year's been different i think that's a combination of a few things one the the mojo uh boosting abilities of doing the podcast also uh obviously covid has dampened the holidays a little bit uh so i've been making progress and i'm pretty happy about that how about you well, I've been
0: trying to set some reasonable goals for this holiday season. Um, Like you said, it's kind of the dark times for the modeling bench and uh, just all the other obligations and other things on your mind. And a lot of those are just really infinitely more important. So it's hard to uh, keep the progress during the holiday season. But I, I hope to get a few things done. I've got a got a few things in mind, but hopefully that'll play out. And we'll talk about th- that in future segments of uh, the Bench Top Halftime Report.
1: Sounds good. Now, I want to give all of our listeners – a a peek into Mike's mind here. Uh, If you remember from last episode, when we were doing the intro, I forgot to ask Mike what was going on in his model world. So when he drew up the outline for this time, this episode, he actually put Mike asks Dave, Dave asks Mike. (laughs) So either he has a great lack of faith in me, or that's just uh, Mike's personality popping through.
0: Well, you did it twice, so uh fool me once. <laughs> you know how it goes.
1: <laughs> I know how it goes uh, What's your modeling fluid tonight?
0: Oh, I've got something excellent
1: uh oh i'm I'm anxious to hear
0: I'm sipping on a little weller twelve
1: ooh green green label right yes i I have had that particular item, courtesy of my sister. Uh, who gave me half a bottle a couple of years ago. It is transcendent. What do you think?
0: It's a 12-year bourbon, hence the name, which means it was put to barrel when my second son was two years old. It's 90 proof. It's uh, distilled and bottled by Buffalo Trace just down the road in Frankfort, Kentucky. And uh, it's almost only available on the secondary market, and it will cost you at least $200 a bottle. Yep. So how did I get a bottle of this?
1: That <laughs> was my next question?
0: Well, my lovely and generous wife, Robin, made a donation to an employee relief fund for a long-time established uh, local eatery here in Lexington. And it's one that's been particularly hit hard by COVID because it's an older older place. Hence, a lot of their clientele tends to be older and they're not going out as much. There's a, a big Wednesday night crowded there, I think, that's not, not there anymore because of covid what she didn't realize was that she was actually being placed into a raffle as a result of this donation and she won the raffle prize
1: oh man that is luck
0: that is that was very fortuitous and uh we've been sharing it it's not going to sit on the shelf long i've had a little and we've been we're, we're trying to be bourbon fairies around town to some of our friends who probably wouldn't likely to to buy this for themselves so it's been a lot of fun now what i like about it it's Man, you talk about smooth. Yes. This is very smooth. There's a lot of uh, sweetness and caramel on the front end, I think. And it finishes with a really nice, just the the oak note is just right there at the end. And it's really, really good. Uh, this this makes my Bullock taste kind of bad if I switch back to it after sipping one of these.
1: I, like I said, the only reason I got half a bottle was that my very generous sister, the doctor, um, actually had gotten it as a gift. She's not a huge bourbon drinker, and so they they had about half of it, and she gave me the rest of the bottle. It is literally the best bourbon I've ever tasted. The thing that's amazing to me, besides all of those notes and all of those flavors, is there's you almost don't detect the alcohol. Now, when it hits your bloodstream, you'll detect it, but, I mean, as far as... As far as drinking it, you just, it's not there. It's not present in any way that in the least offends your palate. So I am officially jealous as hell.
0: Well, I'll let her know. She (laughs) said she might listen in on this one since it was about this. Uh, There's also like a tobacco note on the back end. Now, I don't mean cigarette smoke. I mean like dried tobacco hanging in the barn. You know the smell.
1: Oh, God, it's a great smell. Yeah, Yeah.
0: so there's a a little bit of that in there too. Very nice. Very
1: nice. So what do you got? Top that. I have the exact opposite of what you have. Jim Beam. Think about the other end of the scale. No, not Jim Beam, but you're close. Evan Williams 101. This is a bottled in bond bourbon that's on sale. You can find it for like $14 sometimes. It doesn't come in a plastic bottle. It's not one of those bourbons, but it's just barely above those things. You don't drink this straight at all. Uh, Not if you value your taste buds, Uh, but it is a a nice mixing bourbon. You can uh, put it in ginger ale or Coke and, and you have a fine drink to help you sit down and relax, unwind at the end of the night. Now here in Kentucky, if you took 12 year old Weller and put it in Coke You'd probably get killed by somebody if they saw you do it. That's not the case for Evan Williams 101. It is a bourbon that requires something. If you're using it in mixed drinks to make a Manhattan or or something like that, Evan Williams 101 is a, a perfectly fine bourbon. But it is, not, it is not for doing what Mike is doing right now, which is uh, sipping the tears of angels.
0: Well thanks to my wife for uh, being generous and donating to a, an employee relief fund, or this yeah. would,
1: this would not be happening. Hey, well that's hey karma, man, good karma. she did something good for people in need, and the car and karma came back around to reward her. That's fantastic.:
0: Well, we got a crap load of listener mail this this last couple of weeks. In fact, I've pushed a few late arrivers off until the next episode. We got so many. Yeah, it's really unbelievable.
1: Gratifying.
0: So to get into it, uh, first up is uh, Brandon Waters from Ontario, Canada. Now, Brandon is uh, saying he's got a similar completion ritual as you, meaning that uh, when he finishes a model, he also cleans up and organizes his workspace. And in, in addition to that, he hangs the box art on the wall.
1: And he wasn't the only person to mention that if they do that. No, nope, he sure wasn't. While I'm modeling, I don't put things away. Okay, I tend to model, and you know, if I've got something out of a drawer or a tool or whatever, I'll just lay it on the bench so that by the time I get to the end of a kit, almost nothing is where it should be. And I really, part of it I do think is just a ritual to make a transition from one kit to another. But I think also it's a part of I'm a messy modeler, I need to get neater, I need to get more organized and that's one of the ways i i mean i try and keep it below critical mass
0: up next is uh, brian schultz and brian wrote in last episode about the uh, degreasers using for for paint strippers and i kind of put it back on him to talk about any information he had on whether that would strip your whatever filler you were using and he says he's unaware of the effects of the degreaser on fillers and he suggested paint mules or paint and filler mules in this case and he says he's no expert, only being back a short time. But I'll say this is always sage advice to not uh, try something aggressive like that on something you care about. So um, he's right. If I want to try this kind of paint stripper, I need to put some putty on something and paint it and see what happens.
1: Yep. No, uh, experimentation. I, through 30 plus years of modeling, I have learned my lesson in regard to that. I always like to try and learn something new or do something new on each kit. But if I am doing something like a new technique that I saw on, you know, Night Shift's YouTube channel or or something like that, I'll, I'll try. And I've got a couple of paint mules, and, and, you know, most people do. And I will try the techniques on that just to see, just to try and get the hang of it. Because you can watch videos all day long. Uh Oli Dub had a great comment when it came to airbrushing, was the fact that you can read all the books, you can watch all the videos, you can watch CDs or whatever, but the only way to get good at airbrushing is by airbrushing. And, you know, when you're learning a new technique, I think the same thing is true. You, you watch the videos, you read about it, you do that, but nothing is going to replace taking a paint mule and taking your time and, you know, learning.
0: Steve Burke told from Covina, California, he's written before, but he's back again. And he does something I do actually, when he's working on a project and and completing it. Uh, He keeps cutting the sprues down as the project progresses until there's really nothing left in the box. And that's, that's something I do. Start throwing stuff away or whatever you do with it, Um, cutting off the long straight ones if you want to stretch it later in the future. But uh, I do that. I cut the sprues down as the parts start to evaporate off of them. And he also reorganizes and cleans uh, like we both do. And he also hangs the box art on the garage wall. So that's the other one we were talking about earlier.
1: You know, I'm beginning to see the wisdom of cutting the sprues down as a model. Normally with a 72nd scale aircraft kit, especially if you're doing single engine fighters or stuff like that, it's not really necessary. But I'm telling you what, on this M30 kit with six different sprues and tons of tiny parts and stuff like that, I can see the wisdom of cutting down the sprues as you go. Just make sure that you clear have cleared all of the little parts off the sprue before you get rid of it.
0: Yeah, I made that mistake once. Oh, yeah. Gary Sousmacat from uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Uh, he says he's a rare modeler type since he's been modeling since uh, about seven years old with no typical life stops that we all tended to have as we grew up and went off to school or all that. And uh, he's a diorama builder. They're called
1: girls. That's and cars. That's what those are. And cars.
0: He loves to tell a story with a kit and taking it to the next level. And he sent us several links to his projects. And uh, they're all nice. He had one, though, called a Hiding from Yabos, which is uh, ground attack fighters, Jaeger bombers, yeah. is the German word. It's where Yabo comes from. Uh, and there are some killer trees in this, this diorama. They're what I would call grove pines or canopy pines. And what I mean by that is it's a tall pine, uh, up at the top of the forest where all the lower branches have died off of it. So you just have a a tough at the top and then you have all these dead, broken branches below it. And it was really, really convincing. So Gary, I commend you on that. And I'd, I'd really like to hear more about it. So let us know what that was all about. And I, I may put that picture up on the Facebook page.
1: I do think that tr- getting trees right is one of the real, one of the hardest things to do in dioramas, replicating trees and making them look, uh, replicating something natural that occurs in nature is so much harder than replicating, uh, you know, uniforms or tanks or, or stuff like that. Mother nature is so much more infinitely complex and, You really have to have a good eye and some good skills to do a good tree.
0: I agree with that. And that's why I don't do a lot of trees on model basis, because I'm not very good at it.
1: (laughs) There's a new skill for you.
0: Next is Mike Spivey from Cookville, Tennessee, which is kind of halfway between Nashville and Knoxville down in the middle of East Tennessee. He's a diorama and vignette builder, and he's he's a wedgie guy.
1: We have some of those.
0: Yes, we do. And uh, for those who might not know, that's uh, a wedgie is uh, using on your vignette base, a, a part of a tank or part of an airplane or part of whatever he f- he feels. It's a much more dramatic presentation, than just a typical small, you know, postage, postage stamp type little scenic base for a figure. Uh, it's also a good use of older kits because the kit is not the, the vehicle not the focus. It's the figures, right? So you can get by with not using the, uh, a super detailed model. You could also get like four of these out of a single tank kit. and Airplanes would be kind of similar, I think. What do you think of wedgies?
1: I like them for all the reasons you just stated. Uh, they are a great use of older kits because, you know, a lot of the older Tamiya line has been supplanted by newer kits. But those Tamiya kits are, you can pick them up at a show for, you know, 10 bucks or less. And you can get two or three wedges out of them, and they're perfectly fine uh, for that purpose. One of the most effective ones I ever saw was, I think it was Chris Morasco, did a wedge with just the back bit, the back corner of a 251 with a soldier leaping over the back corner side of the 251, like he's coming out as the vehicle's being engaged or as the vehicle's uh, been knocked out or whatever. And he's got the figure. The only thing holding the figure to the base is the hand on the rim of the 251's fighting compartment. And it just it imparts motion. And I do think one of the things wedgies can do if they're done right is impart a sense of motion
0: nick bush from davenport Iowa, was next and nick addresses the uh the listener mail that came in last time about how to balance multiple hobbies and the crux of his uh email is he stays away from the television (laughs) uh says free time with family uh well free time away from family is consumed by his photography and his diorama work. He's, he's uh, not wasting a lot of time watching television.
1: No, I, I, as, as uh, not to sound like a cranky old man and telling kids to get off my lawn, but as I've gotten older, I find I watch less and less television. There's less stuff that I'm interested in. Uh, You know, we have so much more uh, selection than the three or four channels that were on when you and I were growing up. But the ratio of quality to crap is, you know, a whole lot more in crap's favor. So I watch the occasional sports, but I don't even watch as much sports as I used to. In fact, uh, the Army-Navy football game was on this past weekend, and that's the first football game I've watched this entire football season so and if i am watching sports you like hockey i'll i'll have i've got a tv in my model room and i will turn on the hockey game while i model because it's a it's a sport you can actually look at look up occasionally and you don't have to to stare at it intently to to still enjoy the game but yeah no i think that that less and less tv is a probably a good thing for most people
0: Eric Simmermayer from Pleasanton, California. Now, he sent an email in that was addressed to uh, pretty much the contact addresses to all the podcasts. And uh, I'll just read it, or most of it anyway. Hello and season's greetings to all of you gentlemen. A quick note to tell all of you how much I enjoy the content you, you put out. None of you do the exact same thing, but each contributes to my enjoyment and education on our hobby. I also think it's great the way you support each other and promote all the other podcasts, hence the reason I'm, I'm messag- messaging you all at once. Well, Thank you, Eric, and uh, we've all had a good time supporting each other and uh, getting to be friends, so I just think it's been a a mutual benefit to everyone, especially us later comers to the the airwaves here, that uh, everybody's been willing to cross-promote and support each other, because we certainly came up the ramp fast, and I think the posse is coming up the ramp fast, and it's just been a lot of fun. We've made a lot of friends this year, haven't we,
1: Dave? We have indeed, and uh, at the risk of giving those other guys a, the big head, uh, you know, I, just like ninety ninety nine percent of modelers I've met, all the podcasters are they're good guys. They're guys you would want to hang out with at your local model club on meeting night, and or in the in the bar after the club <laughs> the club meeting.
0: Well, we've made it a year for ourselves here, so hopefully we've got some staying power. I hear
1: you. I'm not going anywhere.
0: Oh, uh, that's next one's good. It's for me and Macaulay up in Ottawa. And uh, he says Have you ever noticed how the size and scope and complexity of a diorama is inversely proportional to the skill of the modeler?
1: <laughs> there is some trait when modelers, when the people who build dioramas start, there is some phase that they go through before they really start to shine, where they feel like they have to build something huge. And and we've all seen them at shows where, you know, you've got all these normal size dioramas, and then you've got this one thing that's four feet by four feet that's a reproduction of, you know, uh, battle, you know, the last stand in Berlin or something, and... <laughs> it's true i think that it's an evolution it's a phase uh diorama builders go through
0: well for our own humor we won't name any names but uh you probably remember remember that big diorama that got donated to scale reproductions um that was built by a gentleman who became a really skilled figure painter eventually and it was a street battle from world war ii and the thing looked like Stinking the climax of a Sam Peckinpah film.
1: Yeah, let's put the let's put it this way: he utilized a lot of really bright red paint.
0: That's right, and a lot of half-assembled figures.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and then another one you might remember is that traveling car garage diorama that was making the rounds in in uh, Region Four and then down south of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, there 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 is a big long story behind that, and if you corner Mike and I at the um IPMS uh, nationals in Las Vegas, and you get a bourbon and two, or two in us, uh, you might even get to hear that story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, one from Lexington. We got a, a Homer here. Julian Fisher Lamont. He has had a bad experience with, to me, a TS 13 clear after finally getting a good airbrush color coat. Well, that, that really stinks for him. Now, TS, that's a spray can. Yeah. He said he got bad orange peel on, on, one thing and some crackling on the other. And he says he was spraying in the garage at about 54 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. And the, we want to know if that's a problem and then how to prevent it. And should he just forego cans and go back to his airbrush? What brands do we suggest or any advice we could give him for clear coats? I would say, yeah, I would skip the rattle cans I don't know much about TS-13. To me, it's clear spray. I've never used those. Um, I would certainly be wary of spraying at that kind of temperature. Anything. Even paint.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me say, yes, What my advice to him is give up completely on rattle, cl- rattle can clear coats. Uh, because of the way the aerosols work, Orange peeling is very common and it takes a really skilled modeler using a rattle can to avoid orange peeling. I'm not that skilled and I can using either Alclad's uh, uh, Clear Gloss or Future, which I still love, except it's now called Pledge or something. I can get a, a bulletproof clear coat on a model Every single time. I don't think I've had a clear coat problem. Once I went over and sprayed nothing but airbrush for my gloss coats.
0: I actually still depend a lot on the, uh, the testers products. I use testers dull coat, but I pick up the tall square bottle. Yeah. I don't use the rattle can. And uh, I thin that stuff way down like 80, 90% lacquer thinner. I've always had good results with it. Now I've used some, Tamiya. Satin finishes now that I'm doing this newer type weathering, and I like those, but they're they're out of the bottle, and I'm I'm thinning those with their uh, their alcohol based thinner. Mm-hmm. I, I I think one thing it's just too cool. Fifty four to sixty Fahrenheit is probably not an optimal temperature to be spraying paint. Yeah,
1: well, if you're in a garage, close the door, get a couple of space heaters going, but. Shut the space heaters off before you spray anything. Once you got the garage up to the right temperature,
0: <laughs> yes, good in bad. Uh, another one from Ottawa it's uh, Brian Latour. I think they're all in the same club up there. Um, we talked about bases last time being in uh, making transport of models easier, and he's he has yet a, a, another modification to that. Uh, He embeds magnets into the bases of his models and uses a piece of sheet metal at the bottom of his transport tote or a cookie sheet in a pinch to keep things from sliding around.
1: Hmm. I hadn't thought of that.
0: And he's using neodymium uh, magnets, which are kind of strong
1: for their size. Hmm. That's, that's, I would have never thought of that. (laughs) I end up using that double sided, uh, double sided, uh, uh, masking tape for for securing my bases to my uh, the bottom of my tubs when I'm transporting models.
0: Ah, uh, and then from our home club, the MMCL, Lee fogel and he's wondering since the Spanish school is very polarizing with regard to weathering and modulation and all that, he would like to know if uh Shep Payne and Francois Verlinen would be considered the pinnacle of re- realistic expert modeling. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I would think no, not to take anything away from either of those. My personal preference is Shep Payne over Verlinden because I think his, his works were more, more varied mm-hmm. and a lot less of a, Verlinden kind of built a brand around his style. Yeah. Shep Payne really didn't do that. Wh- what do you think about this one? I don't well, have a good well, answer
1: for this one. It It's evolutionary. Um, you know if if I, I i guess my analogy would be comparing it to film in the early days of film there were some great filmmakers who made great films and were acknowledged at the time to be great films but if you go back and look at them today while you can still see the quality uh, of the work, the 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 genius of the of the filmmaker in context, they they don't hold up to more modern movies as far as, because the technology's changed, and I would say that's the biggest thing for both uh, Shep Payne and and Verlinden is that there's the the technology changed. There's so much more stuff. Um, Also, taste change. I've told the story of when I I was building 72nd scale aircraft in the 1980s. If you weathered a model, it was because you were hiding, trying to hide some flaw. And that was the only reason you weathered a model was to try and hide a flaw. Now, forget for a moment the fact that weathering something doesn't hide a flaw. It accentuates it in most cases. But taste gradually changed over time. And now, while a a pure clean build is still uh, quite acceptable and can still win awards at at contests, weathering, chipping, all sorts of, you know, staining have have, uh, come along. And now, and it's a good thing because now, you get a whole lot more variety when you walk down a table of model of aircraft, 72nd scale aircraft models, you see not only a wide variety of different aircraft and different markings, but you see different painting styles and weathering styles. And two of them can be different as can be, but both still be attractive and eye catching. So, you know, um, I think we owe a debt to uh, Shep Payne, particularly Shep Payne, uh, and and in some respects to Verlinden, particularly in regard to what he did with after bringing aftermarket into its own. But while there are predecessors, and we can acknowledge that we're standing on the shoulders of giants, you know that doesn't diminish the fact that their work, if you put it on a table today, might not be considered as as a top-notch model. Well,
0: I hope that answers Lee's question. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I, I have to wonder what either one of those modelers would do with a, a kit of today's standards and detail level.
1: And I would love to see what techniques they would attempt to, to use that weren't being done when they were modeling. I would love to see what Shep Payne would do with, you know, the the full panoply of what's available and 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 what's been developed over the years.
0: Next is Mike Halliday, and this came through our Facebook page, and it was in response to the Purple Power and the other degreasers that were mentioned before as paint strippers. He likes using, like, DOT-3 brake fluid, DOT-3 brake fluid, and... I've done this in the past too. And, and yes, they are great paint removers. And that even, that's even true for your car if you're not careful. <laughs> One thing uh, I'd be curious if Mike's had experience with, as, as I have, is, is some brake fluid. Do you know my
1: favorite story in that regard? Just the Stu Gordon story? Uh, we have a modeler in our club named Stu Gordon who tells the story. I think he was building the the NITO uh, 1-100 scale C5, big model, big model. Um, And now I didn't see this happen because it it happened before Stu came uh, in, Stu Gordon came into our club, but he tells the story of, you know, he got the model assembled, he painted it. He didn't like the paint job there, you know, he either got hair in it or it, it orange peeled something. So he strips it in brake fluid, fluid, you know, cleans it off, paints it again, still doesn't like it. Goes, soaks it in brake fluid again, strips the paint off, and while he's holding the model to paint it for the third time, he's holding the, the fuselage in his hand, and his fingers just penetrate through the plastic into the model, because it had just become... You know, the the brake fluid had attacked the plastic structure itself and weakened the plastic to the point where it gave way under even a light grip.
0: Yeah, you know, there's different types of brake fluid. I don't know if this one he's mentioning has that same effect, but yeah, brake fluid in general, you kind of got to watch what you're doing. Yeah. Because it will will strip the plasticizers out of the plastic and uh, brittle them kind of severely sometimes. Yeah. All right, finally, Terry Wilkinson from Osceola Mills, Pennsylvania says he's got the Shep Payne book on dioramas, but he's got another recommendation for us. Uh, he recommends Landscapes of War by Rodrigo Cabos as the, the Great Guides series volume one on dioramas, and he highly recommends this book in addition hmm. to Shep Payne's book. So I'm not familiar with it, and, and I've yet to check it out, but uh, I'll go have a look.
1: Yeah, I, w- I will too, because I'm not familiar either. So, well, thanks for the recommendation.
0: That ends our pile of listener mail.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. Um, This is the point in the podcast where I want to take a moment and uh, A, thank our listeners and B, ask them if they wouldn't mind when they're done with uh, listening to this episode, go to whatever podcasting app or service or whatever uh, that you download our, our or listen to our episodes on and give the uh the episode a five-star rating. If you would do that, it helps bring visibility, which brings in new listeners. Also, the other thing you can do for us uh is tell a friend if you know if the other guys in your club don't listen to podcasts, don't know what a podcast is, you know, try and Sit them down and and let them listen to a little bit of this. Try to get them to listen because there's no greater driver of new listeners for us than current listeners telling other modelers what they listen to and what they like. And while you're
0: doing that, please check out our fellow podcasts out there that were mentioned to in our listener mail. We do a lot of cross-promotion. Scale Model Podcast out of Canada is up to episode 61. On the Bench out of Australia is up to episode 99. And they've got a doozy this time and they're really close to 100. So that's getting exciting for them. Yep. The Plastic Posse podcast uh, just ticked off number nine. So they're closing in on double digits. And we've got the second episode from the, the new guys out of the UK it, with uh, Just Making Conversations. So please check out all the other podcasts. There's plenty of time in your day and your modeling bench time to to have a listen to all of them.
1: Yep. And also, if you wouldn't mind, if you are not a member of the national chapter of your country's IPMS, uh, please consider joining. Those of you listening to Mike and I here in the United States, if you'd go to IPMSUSA.org, that's .org, not .com, and join the U.S. branch of IPMS, uh, those in Canada can Google IPMS Canada, and they've got a really nice website where you can join and become a national member. Those organi- IPMS really has done a lot for modeling over the years, and a lot of it's unappreciated sometimes by uh, the average modeler. So it doesn't cost very much. Most cha- most national organizations put out a magazine, uh, which. The, the ones from IPMS USA and IPMS Canada are two of the best modeling magazines you'll find out there, bar none. So, you know, take, take a minute, throw them a few bucks, join, and uh, hopefully Mike and I'll see you at a national contest somewhere.
0: Well, we've also got some blogs and vlogs uh, we like to support and have you guys check out and listen to or read uh, Scale Canadian TV from our friend Jim Bates out on the West Coast. Model airplane maker from Chris Wallace, and he's up in uh, the Ottawa area with those guys. And then we've got a new one, sprue Pie with Fretz from uh, our friend Stephen Lee out of uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Now, he's a uh, often contributor to our listener mail, and he's uh, he's got a new blog, and it's a good blog, and he's got a links page with links to all these other blogs and all the other podcasts. So it's a good resource to uh, go find everything else. So please support all these when you can and check them out.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Steve started his not uh, not a month or two ago, and it's really taken off. It's a very good blog and something you want to go uh, take a look at once a day to see what he's done, because he's adding a lot of content.
0: Countdown to Vegas. Dun, dun, dun. At the time of this recording, we are 247 days away from the IPMS National Convention for 2021 in exciting Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Bob says the big news is there's no news at all this episode. (laughs) (laughs) We are in the holiday lull, so that's understandable. Uh, He does say that the Rio, which has been closed since March 18th, March 18th, uh, is reopening on December 22nd. And they look forward to finally being able to start planning the layout on location and working with the various hotel departments that they're going to need to be coordinated with to pull this thing off. So that's the big news there. I'm sure they still still would like some uh, trophy package sponsorships. So keep that in mind. But uh, it's going to be a little light on the news for a while until we get through the holidays.
1: Well, I would say the biggest news for them is the vaccines starting to be administered as of today. So that's right. So if, maybe
0: we'll have enough people uh stuck by August that uh we can all go and enjoy this thing like we'd really want to.
1: Exactly. So that's big news for them. Bob also had
0: had a few things for the mailbag, but uh we have got a lot of listener mail. I'm going to push Bob off until uh January with those cuz he had a he had a really good good listener mail and uh it'll be a good good topic, a good good listener mail conversation.
1: Good. Good. Looking forward to it uh mike what's your uh what's your modeling bench top look like
0: it's trying to get a little dusty over the past week or two that's unfortunate but uh i need to make sure i'm doing the things i like to do when i can find the time but uh the ZIS 2 is stagnant again i haven't touched it since before the last episode it still needs the pin wash put on the split trail before i can start uh pushing that one forward i need to i need to dig the base back out and start start working on it i threatened to do that last time but i failed to failed to act on it um on the e16 paul i got my float difficulties resolved i finally quit splitting the seams and i got the nose seams to fill finally and got that taken care of and uh now i'm increasing my skill set by replacing the obliterated details and filling the uh the perimeter seams on the floats. And primarily this was the, the fill caps. There's like four or five fill caps on the, on the floats. I don't know if they were yeah. for fuel or, or what learning as I go.
1: On, on floats, those, those caps can either be, uh, uh, extra fuel storage or they can be, they have to have caps to access the different sections of the, uh, of the pontoon, if it started, if water has intruded into the interior of the pot, pontoon, so it could be either or both of those things, depending on which cap where. So
0: to replace the the fore and aft ones on on the vertical top seam that were, you know, I sanded them out pretty much, filling the seam. I put my flat bottom hole drills to use, and I'm using like a two point two millimeter flat bottom hole, and you drill down about four or five thousandths and i've used my uh, thinner line circle cutter because i don't have a punch the right size to uh cut uh, two millimeter discs out of uh, five thousand styrene and that's been kind of fun to get a, a round circle with that thin styrene at that small of a diameter but uh i think i've figured out how to do it and uh just putting those details back on and sanding the curve across the top of them again because those those caps were kind of domed and fitted so they didn't flow didn't screw up the airflow over the pontoons so that's what i've been doing um right. hopefully hopefully i'm about to get back to i've got two more caps to do and then it's going to start putting the uh, the pontoon struts on the bottoms bottom of the airplane
1: well those can be a challenge so so I'll, I'll look forward to seeing you do that especially truing it all up well we'll see how
0: it goes certainly in uncharted territory what you got going on? He's like, you've been trying to finish something else.
1: Well, uh, the M 30 has finally been assembled completely and, uh, moved over to the paint booth for primer. Uh, in fact, I finished priming it, uh, last night. Uh, and it's brought one or two things to my attention that are going to need a little bit of addressing before I move forward with painting. Uh, a lot of my modeling time lately, particularly my non bench modeling time has been rewatching uncle night shift videos on weathering and painting. Um, because this is, uh, I think I noted in a blog post that this is the first 35th artillery piece I have done in 24 years. And, Uh, As Lee Fogel was noting, styles have changed a lot over that time. So I am looking forward to it. It's it's firmly in the paint booth, uh, which means that I can bring the Mosquito that I'm working on for the uh, Mosquito Guys group build uh, back up. Because our goal is to finish that one and bring them all out to Las Vegas when we all meet out there because we're all planning to go. And it's been a little bit stagnant. And then, additionally, I've been beginning to plan my twenty twenty one campaign. Uh, every year at the beginning of the year, I'll make a list of you know I usually make a list of ten, even though I've I've never had a year where I finished ten models. But uh, I'll I'll make a list of what what I want to do, and what order, and and play with it a little bit, go back and forth, bounce it off people. And I've started to do that. I've started to make my list, uh, which is already, some of the things on it have changed a little already, but uh, it's nice to look forward to 2021 for a whole lot of reasons mike uh what's been uh what's caught your ass since the last time we recorded uh as far as new releases and all
0: well i was saying it was the year of the t34 for quite a while but now it's looking like the the year of the panzer 4 and se- several companies are kicking out now the later versions the h's and j models of the panzer 4 with and without interior interiors and with uh uh, a couple of the factory variations, and I don't know. Those are some of my favorite Panzer IVs, and I've not I'm not done one in my serious modeling life. And uh, looking kind of interesting, They're especially the uh, the early and mid model Hs, because those are kind of the high tide of the Panzer IV. The J was starting where they started to strip it down and take stuff off of it to save money and construction time. So uh, Mini Art, Mini Art's got a an early H that uh, looks really interesting. What about you? You got one?
1: Well, uh, I mentioned previously that Zvezda had announced a, uh, a new tool, Modern C-130, and it has finally made it to our shores as a released kit. And it's there's good news all around. One, looks great. The panel lines look fantastic. The molding looks good. And from analyzing the kit itself and the breakdown of the parts it looks like we're going to get a lot of the C130 family maybe as much as going all the way back to the C130As with the roman nose and the three prop canopy or three three bladed prop all the way to the most modern, current C one thirty Js, and they broke the they broke the parts mold down, the the castings down really intelligently to be able to get as much out of their molds as possible to do different versions and all. Uh, now that'll make a little bit more work than it would have having to just build a a straight C one thirty J or or H or whatever because you'll you've got more parts than you would otherwise, but still it looks great. It it was a big hole that needed filling in in 70 second scale. So nothing but pleased. So anything else catch your eye?
0: Uh yeah, it's not a new kit. It's a new boxing that's set to drop sometime this month. Um Dragon is reboxing well Yes, they're reboxing the Cyber Hobby uh Sikorsky SH three D helicopter uh, in seventy second scale. And it's gonna be kitted for the Apollo mission, so it's old sixty-six. Yep. The uh the primary recovery helicopter for all the uh, Apollo missions. And that's just from a childhood, that photographs of that recover those recoveries have always intrigued me and I just think that helicopter looks great with the big numbers on the, you know, basically white on black or gray that Navy scheme of the era of the mid sixties, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, just waiting, just watching for it to drop. Now this, this boxing comes with the capsule and the, and the, uh, the balloons on top and all that. So looks interesting.
1: You'll, you'll want to take a look if you haven't a uh, starfighter released a set of decals for that particular helicopter, uh, that they've had in their line for some time. So, Depending on what the decals are like in the Dragon Cyber Hobby, whatever kit, uh, you might take a look at those because Mark does a really nice job at getting his decals uh, spot on accurate. So uh, it's worth taking a look at.
0: Well, I've looked on there and and, uh, it's been out of stock for a while. I think actually those come from somebody else and he makes them. Somebody else is doing the artwork. I, Uh, I
1: I think he contracts out with people. But he does really good stuff.
0: But the other issue is I, I got to figure out what are the quirks of this kit because uh, I've, I've been reading. A lot of people think actually converting the, uh, the Airfix, the newer Airfix Seeking back to a Sikorsky-built helicopter instead of the, the British contract one. Um, I can't remember who. Westland, maybe?
1: Yeah, it's Westland.
0: Uh, makes makes for an easier build than this cyber hobby kit. So, so I don't know.
1: I I would, well, maybe I would find that hard to believe, but then again, you know, I haven't taken a close look at it. So maybe that's the case. But uh, as far as those being out of print, you might contact market at Starfighter because he's always got stuff lying around. And if not, uh, he's going to want to know what people have an interest in.
0: What about you? You got, you, you got another one?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, Clearprop uh, has popped on the scene in the last year or so, and they've put out a number of good kits, and they've just uh, released uh, an A5M4 version of the Claude, the fighter that preceded the Zero in the Japanese Navy, uh, was used in China a lot and it was actually used in the early parts of, uh, World War II. And it's just an attractive little airplane. I've always thought it was attractive. Uh, Props A5M2 is a great kit. I've been waiting for this particular version and, uh, they announced it and I think it might even be out over in England. I'm not sure, but, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to see it soon at uh, scale reproductions and pick up a copy. Anything that maybe didn't exactly light your fire?
0: <laughs> yes, and inspire my uh, my favorite maker of such things.
1: God, <laughs> they're going to put a hit, <laughs> they're going to hire a hitman soon.
0: <laughs> so there's a kit being released of a Soviet D thirty eight fire support tank by Hobby Boss.
1: What is a D thirty eight fire support tank?
0: It is a very obscure prototype, probably BT derivative. I'm not real sure. I've got to dig out my my Russian book on BT series, a hardbound book I've got, and see if I can even find it in there. Uh, I tell you what, it's not. It's not a BT five. <laughs> <laughs> and i really i really thought we'd see one this year so yeah. when that, when that sucker showed up I was like you gotta be kidding me really are
1: you, are you holding a what little bit of that? a grudge here uh,
0: it, I mean they could redeem themselves in a split second
1: well hopefully they will i mean 2021's coming up and uh uh lord knows there's plenty of kits uh, at the rate both you and I build uh there's there's plenty of time for them to get one out. You got a yawn? Amazingly enough, not really. Uh, this, uh, I, you know, uh, the releases have slowed down. Uh, if I had to to name one, I would uh, reach back and smack PM Models uh, for re-releasing their really awful kits in in new boxes and making p- some poor sucker think that this is something new and different when it's the same old uh crappy PM models moldings. Uh so if I had to bang on somebody, it would be that. But uh, you know, I want to survive, so I don't want Hobby Boss sending a hitman after me. So I'm not gonna look too <laughs> I'm not gonna look too close at their line. I'll let you take that bullet. <laughs> well then that brings
0: us to our special segment and our special segment tonight is twenty twenty comes to a close. So uh how'd it go? I got a few bullet items here we can go through all right so what's your take on the first year of plastic model mojo dave
1: uh it's uh, nothing but great uh first of all the it grew a lot faster than i thought it would the real effect that i was going for in doing this was uh to keep my mojo alive and i've got to say it from that standpoint it succeeded beautifully i finished Four, assuming that I don't finish something in the next two weeks, which I think is a safe assumption, I'll have finished four models in a year, which, uh, while not a record, is something that I haven't done probably in 15 years or more. Um, I'm motivated to get to the bench, uh, The not only because uh, recording the the podcast kind of makes you accountable, which is what I was hoping it would do, but also uh the interactions with the listeners out there really uh keep the mojo alive the the back and forth the suggestions the comments it's exceeded my wildest dreams how about you
0: well I have a similar sentiment you know just for fun we were always watching the metrics as the the new episode drops and and uh we we just finally crossed the the thousand downloads in the first, uh, 24, first seven days, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. First seven days. It'd be nice if it was first 24 hours, but first seven.
0: Days. Yeah. That, that, that'd that be great. But it's for a scale modeling podcast. That's probably, probably pretty good.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: And I think, I think the community we've built has been fun. Um, I've kind of been uh, busy last couple of weeks, but, but prior in the fall, late summer into the fall there, we we were getting the, the Facebook activity going, and, and uh, some of those Friday and Saturday evenings were kind of fun with a lot of banner going back and forth. So, um, I'm thinking maybe we're going to do something a little bit more with that in the coming year. Uh, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by the way things have gone. We've got a great community. We're getting great support from the other podcasts. And I just, uh, I think people like the format and seem to think we're doing a pretty good job. So I appreciate all the listeners and all the listener mail. All that's been, uh, Really flattering.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, especially now, when you and I started this, we obviously had no idea that COVID was going to hit and that we were all going to be locked in our houses for for nine months. But uh, I'll tell you what, having lost out on the regular monthly uh, uh, model meetings of our club and then missing out on some of our Saturday sessions uh, at the club workshop, this really the the having the plastic model mojo community there interacting uh asking questions showing us what they're doing i've been inspired as heck by some of the things that i'm seeing the 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 guys out there building and uh it it served a need with that i didn't know was going to be a need when we started this but uh yeah, COVID would have been a much worse uh, thing to live through were it not for the fact that we had the community out there to interact with.
0: Well, out of everything that's gone on with Plastic Model Mojo in 2020, uh, you got a favorite moment?
1: I have two. Okay, uh, let's hear them.
0: Well, you go you go first, and then I'll go, and then we'll, we'll do it that oh, way.
1: Oh, we go back and forth, okay. One of my two favorite moments is the first time we got an email in response to one of our, da- one of our broadcasts. I can't remember when it happened. I don't know who it was, uh, but the fact that we were, we were getting interaction. Somebody was out because when we record these, you know, you, you don't know if anybody's going to listen. You're, you're doing it to keep your, keep yourself motivated.
0: And it just flies out in the ether.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the first time we got somebody shouting back at us out of the void was a great PMM moment for me. So how about you? Uh,
0: The first time... I really got a big smile on my face about all this was actually coming from one of the other podcasts, but it, you know, it was, it was directed at us. It was the first time David Goldfinch at, uh, on the bench called us banjo picking whiskey, sipping hayseeds.
1: <laughs> that is a pretty good one. I, I gotta, I gotta say. Yeah.
0: I think at that point I knew that this community was gonna, gonna be a good thing and, uh, that we were about to get mixed up with a bunch of interesting characters and a great bunch of guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm happy to wear that moniker proudly.
0: So, kind of back at them, and I failed to do it this week. I've, I apologize. I, I I didn't put a link on our Facebook page, but the for the last several episodes, for a long time, I've been messing around with a line from a song from an Australian band or music group. To uh, announce their new episodes, so that's what's been going on with all that nonsense. <laughs> if anybody was wondering what, where I was pulling all that from, no, they're, I kn- all, they're I, all Australian bands.
1: Oh well, I knew they were all all song lyrics. I didn't realize all of them were Australian bands. Yeah, no, I uh, I love the little back and forth that we have with uh, all of the all of the podcasters out there. Well, what's your next one? The next one, this, this next one's kind of close to my heart, not the first email, but the first time on the Facebook page, somebody posted a picture of what they were working on and what their model fluid for the evening was. When I first saw somebody else posting a model fluid, I knew we had a hook that was going to work that. (laughs) <laughs> that there were people out there like us. And so uh, uh, that was that one just as much as the first email. Uh, that one got me, got me realizing, Hey, this thing is going to work.
0: Well, that's funny because uh, back in April, we got a, we got a crap review from somebody saying they weren't interested in our alcohol reviews <laughs> and was turned off from the start. And I was like, ah, oh, you jackass. <laughs> <laughs> And then it wasn't too long after that that uh, we had a minister write in and said his modeling fluid was chocolate milk. So, yeah, yeah, you know, if he's not offended, then the other guy can go get his get his own podcast.
1: Exactly. Well, you're you're not going to please everybody.
0: That's right. And if and if we hear back because of what I just said, then we know he's still listening. Still
1: listening. <laughs> so what's your what's your next one?
0: I've just got the two. Oh That's my okay. two. All right. No, no, I do have one. I'm ahead of the game here. <laughs> I was commenting I was commenting on yours, wasn't
1: I? Yes, you were.
0: Well, oh, actually the entire thing and uh what it is, is it's it's the accountability you were talking to. Is um doing this and responding to people and have people responding to us and the activity on the Facebook page and all the friends we've made is, is really brought me back into the hobby in a meaningful way. And, uh, I've started enjoying it again and I'm having fun with it and kind of in a, in a different way than I was having fun with it before and kind of stopped having fun with it before. And it's interesting because, uh, others around me who aren't modelers are starting to see the enjoyment. So that, that was really interesting to me to hear a couple of comments along that regard from family or close friends.
1: That's good. That's fantastic. That is what the, 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 the bottom line of you and I doing this was it was going to keep us accountable to each other. And it was going to motivate us to do more and build more. And it just so happened with COVID. We didn't know it, but we really needed it. So yeah, no, uh, those are, those are great.
0: Well, outside of the show for 2020, did you have any favorite kit releases?
1: Indeed. I did. this was a close run thing. I have two favorite kit releases. Well, what's uh, your first one? My first one is the Arma Hurricane version 2B. Now, there have been... Hasegawa did a, a Hurricane 2B many years ago, and you can still occasionally find it out there, and they occasionally re-release it. It wasn't a bad kit, but it was a Hasegawa kit from the 90s. And... Uh, you know, it needed an update, needed an improvement. It wasn't a huge hole in the industry, but it was kind of a huge hole for me because uh, uh, one of my areas of interest is the Netherlands East Indies and Burma and Singapore in early uh, the early part of World War II in the Pacific, and the Hurricane Two B placed played a big part in that. So I was thrilled. Knowing that ARMA had nailed the hurricane to begin with and then come along and and had done a Hurricane 2C, a Hurricane 2B was a natural follow-on. And I was hoping they'd do it, and they did it. And that is my favorite release from 2020 and may well make the list for 2021. How about you?
0: Well, it's my first one's actually a toss-up between a couple. It's this sea of T thirty fours that have hit the market this year. And I, I don't have the mini art kit yet of the D five T armed uh summer forty four kit yet, but I do have the fields kit. Man, they really moved the needle on T thirty four eighty fives this year. I mean they're both way better than uh the Dragon kit. And uh one of those might be on my list. In the coming year, I I don't know yet, but uh, just been really blessed this year with uh, new entries in the T thirty four lineup, and I hope I hope it, they start crawling back in the uh, the model years and start doing a few of the others, particularly Ryfield's and Miniart, because both those makers are really kind of knocking it out of the park with the with the Soviet stuff.
1: Yeah they they seem to be they seem to be pushing each other almost wouldn't you say?
0: Uh possibly. There's no overlap yet, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was your close second?
1: My close second, and and arguably is first. So these two, the two are interchangeable as far as place. It's Vesta C one hundred and thirty. Now, the C one hundred and thirty didn't fill a little hole for me like the uh, the Hurricane two B did, but it filled a big hole in the modeling world. We. Needed, we have not had a new t- new tool C130 in, I guess it's since the E. kit. And I know the E. kit was out in the late 80s. Uh, so, with all of the progress that had happened on the actual C130, we needed a new updated modern C130 kit. And this filled a huge hole. It's probably to me the most consequential. 70-second scale aircraft kit of 2020. And what what else uh, tickled your fancy in 2020?
0: Probably the Ryfield Sherman uh, 5C Firefly. I picked that one up this year. That's just absolutely great looking kit. I've got plans for it. For one of the villers Bocage kill tanks or abandoned tanks from that battle. I tell you, though, that kit reminds me of the 2020 canceled European vacation this year. <laughs> <laughs> Jack and I were going to go visit the exact spot where uh firefly ala was abandoned because it's a very obvious spot in the road. That's, that's still there and easily found. And that, that just didn't get to happen. And, you know, we had talked about, uh, we, we were, we'd have been, oh, Seven months into the podcast by then and and planning on trying to do some remote stuff while I, Jack and I were gallivanting around the Normandy, but it just didn't happen. But as far as kit releases goes, I'd still want to do that, that, that vehicle, Ala and and uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to get over there. I don't know that next year is going to be possible, but uh, hopefully it won't be too long. And we'll, yeah. get to, we'll get to get the visit. We'll get to visit that spot. So that's probably my my next favorite of the year. I think so.
1: Twenty twenty was a sucky year for any number of reasons. But as far as model releases, you know, I keep saying that, that we live in the golden age of modeling, and nothing you and I discussed in the last five minutes changes my mind about that. I mean, this is fantastic. The only sad thing is, I know that. <laughs> At the, at the speed I build, I'm not going to get through all of them before I'm gone. So we had a good 2020, and I'm hoping as far as kit releases go, 2021 is just as good. And I hope you get your BT-5 so that you can stop banging on a hobby boss.
0: I've got kits bought for 2020 in the outline, but I also have big biggest splurge. So what'd you do there?
1: Well, uh, kits, kits bought, I went and I tried to count. <laughs> you know they kind of blur together and so i had to go back through and go okay i got this one this year and this one this year and this the my rough number for new kits purchased is about 15 give or take it could be as high as 18 it probably couldn't be much lower than 15 in years past i've acquired a lot more But frankly, as I've gotten older and the fact that I have a stash that numbers into a thousand kits, um, I'm trying to be a little more discerning and a little more selective when it comes to kit purchasing. But uh, I I, I think I purchased about 15 or a little north of that in 2020. And my biggest splurge wasn't a kit at all. My biggest splurge was probably the uh, RP Tools uh, uh, chopper, guillotine, whatever you call those things. I had the real a real early cheap version of the chopper. And as you well know, those things don't have good tolerances and the blade flexes. And so you don't get good, clean cuts. And if you want to build anything scratch building and you need a lot of of segments of plast struct or stuff like that, you need a really good chopper. And so I went ahead and splurged and that was that was probably my single most expensive purchase of the year.
0: Well now you're 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 saying that your compressor was a equipment replacement. So that was a splurge. That's
1: right. No, that's that 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 is (laughs) see I I blocked that I blocked that out of my mind. But yes, no, you're right. That was an equipment replacement. That was the Lord knows. The last compressor lasted me twenty nine years. So if I amortized the cost of the thing over twenty nine years, it was in no way a splurge. So how many kits did you buy in twenty twenty? I think I bought seven. Great That's restraint. Not too bad. No, that shows great restraint.
0: Maybe eight. I think. I think if I'm counting right, there's seven. Um, I bought uh, several armor kits and several 70 second scale aircraft kits. I've got but in you. all, I think it's less than ten. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: yeah, I uh, think you do.
1: <laughs> now now just got to set the hook and reel them on in. Uh, oh, did you see that photo I texted to you today of the French catapult off of a cruiser?
0: Yeah, I saw that. I got to yeah. go buy that. So. That's going to be a 2021 <laughs> purchase, though. Yeah. Now, my biggest splurge this year of all the things I bought was that uh, High PM German Catapult in 30-second scale.
1: It's well worth it. If you've got that Revelle, that and the Revell 30-second scale Arado are are an impressive uh, uh, display if you've ever seen them built up.
0: Well, I've seen them built up. We'll see if I ever get them built up. But I also have the, the Arado 196 as well. So. See what the future holds on that one. That would be impressive. That's a that's a big project.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: What kits were built this year? Give us a rundown.
1: I completed four, and that is the uh Oka, Japanese little Baka suicide rocket plane, uh the Airfix MiG-17, the special hobby special hobby biver that I had purchased at Chattanooga, and then the A-model AS1, which I also purchased at Chattanooga. So those are two models that I finished within two years of purchase, which for me may well be a record, (laughs) sadly enough, but... uh, (laughs) Like I like I said, it's it's not an absolute record for me. My absolute record of finishes was five in 1996, and one of these days I may tell everybody why 1996 was me was I was able to finish five models, but uh, uh, but it was close. And man, I've got to say, even though not every one of them is perfect, I'm pleased with every single one of them for various reasons for various models, but I'm pleased with all of them. And, you know, if you can get the enjoyment out of this hobby of building a kit and then be happy with the completed product, there's just not much better than that. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up coming into 2021. Let me tell you, I'm coming into 2021 hot. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. So what did you finish?
0: Well, I finished that Trumpeter PT-76 finally after years and years and years. (laughs) And, uh, that turned out okay. I'm I'm happy with it, but, uh, my, my thoughts looking at it, you know, about a three foot rule is like, yeah, I can see what I was trying to do there. I don't think I quite got there, but I think I know what I need to do on the next one to push it up the next level. It did place in, uh, Post World War Two armor up at uh, the Roscoe Turner chapter show—the only show we got to this year.
1: Oh man!
0: So, so that that was that was validating that I could try a bunch of new stuff and still still do okay at a regional contest. So 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 that was fun. Yeah. Um, my other finish was the Airfix Morris tractor and Bofors anti aircraft gun. I kind of built for the nostalgia build. Now, I'm really pleased with that one. Uh, Given the scale and the quality of the kit, I think that turned out pretty stinking good. I, yeah. I'm really pleased with it. And uh, the base work turned out nice. And, uh, you know, I didn't do a whole lot extra to it, but the extra I did do to it, I think, uh, kind of kicked it up a notch a little bit. The the windshield that was missing and th- and then the sight rings on the anti-aircraft gun, I think, uh, added a nice, simple touch to to round those models out. And... Also, I entered that one in the right con. Now they split the category three ways, but uh, I still ended up with a placement with that model uh, in that show, that virtual show that was held by the, uh, the guys up in Dayton. So this is the two I finished. So what did you start in 2020, including <laughs> the ones you finished?
1: Okay. And what did I start? Well, the AS-1 was already in progress because I started it at Chattanooga in the hotel room. The Oka was already in progress. In fact, I finished it the first week of January uh, of 2020. So the ones I started or what I started in 2020 was the MiG-17, the Bibber, The M30, the Trumpeter M30, with the instructions written by uh, an infinite number of monkeys sitting in front of an infinite number of typewriters. The uh, Hasegawa Mosquito for the Mosquito Boys group build. And um, I think that's all I started in 2020. But uh, let me look around. (laughs) I'm actually having to look around the shop to see if there's something else. No, I think that's it. That's that's everything I started in 2020. So that's not too bad. That's only one, two, three, four, five, four or five items. So that's that's not bad. Usually my ADHD gets going, and I uh, I pull a, what we're now officially referring to as a Jim Bates, and starting 20 kits uh, before finishing any of them. So, uh, how about you? How how many did you start in 2020?
0: My starts for 2020 were the Airfix Morris Tractor and Bofors. I started that in 2020. And the Fujimi E16A1 Paul and Catapult were started in 2020, which is still a work in progress. And then... I guess since I've 3D printed a chassis for that Reva Boton scratch build project, I guess that one's considered started as well.
1: I was going to I was going to see I was going to see if you were going to include that one. If not, I was going to remind you that technically you've started that scratch build.
0: So I've started that. So um hopefully the E16 will will progress here. Forsaken on the bench still are the E16 which is getting getting along and then the uh the ZIS two anti tank gun, which isn't too far from being done. So I don't know if I'll get it done this year, but I might have a quick finish on that one going into twenty twenty one. So so yeah. we'll see. We'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah, well I'm anxious to see your base for that ZIS two because what we talked about with the with the uh planking on the gun emplacement, I think could really, really be impressive.
0: Well, I need to get going on it, don't I?
1: Yeah, well, yes. That's why I keep asking you, how's the ZIS2 coming?
0: Since we've been building more than we've built in recent years, or with more vigor and enthusiasm anyway, you got any skills you've picked up along the way in 2020?
1: As as I've said, I think I've said on the podcast before, one of my my modeling philosophies for every model I build is I want to finish it. I want it to be better than the last model I built before it, and I want to try something new. Some new skills, some new techniques, some new product, whatever. Now, I don't always end up accomplishing that on every model, but those are my goals. And uh, this, this year in 2020, I did my first overall bare metal, true representation of a bare metal finish on uh the AS1. And while it's not perfect, in fact it's far from perfect, I learned a lot. Um I, I've I got inspired to try that again and to try some some different and and more adventurous techniques in that regard so bare metal is something that i i've truly dipped my toe in into in 2020 and uh uh, it's a skill that i've added and uh, the other one that i can think of that comes off the top of my head is uh the ak watercolor pencils um i had never really used Watercolor pencils before Uh, the AK just brought out the product in the last year or so. uh, And I'd had seen some other people both online and in our local club uh, talking about it, talking about the effects and what they were doing with them. And so I decided to experiment with them. And I've got to say, I'm super pleased and I see lots of possibilities for their use in the future. So I think that is probably a, a arsenal in my toolbox that is going to get a whole lot of use on all the models that I build from now on. So, you know, I, I'm pleased. I found a new product I like. I tried a, a new technique and learned from it. So, I, again, I'm counting, 2020, sadly enough, as bad as 2020 has been. I'm counting 2020 as a win as far as modeling goes. How about you?
0: Many of my scratch building skills are getting home back to a nice edge I think in 2020. I've stepped up my game a bit and then I'm I'm kind of getting it back, I think. Uh, I you know, I've applied those skills to the E16 Paul, I've applied them to the the Bofers and, you know, basically anything I've been building this year that was started this year, I've certainly been uh trying to do that sort of thing with and i'm I'm pleased i'm still getting getting good results now a lot of that a lot of that's hard to come back you know just learning how to manipulate small stuff and and uh kind of get the effects you want and uh be able to create the the shapes and 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 things you want but i tell you i look forward to to applying more of that on uh, on something here maybe it's the Rebo botan i don't know so that's that'd be a pretty big test bed for uh for scratch-building, considering it's almost an entirely scratch-built subject.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you make a good point there, and it's something that I that I read. Uh, Alan Hall wrote uh, an editorial on it in the one of the early scale aircraft modelings, and it's something that I don't think a lot of people, a lot of modelers appreciate, and that is that modeling is not like riding a bicycle. In other words, you don't automatically remember it if you've been away from it for six months. Um, The skills that make up modeling atrophy if you don't use them. Uh, Airbrushing is a perfect example of that. If you haven't airbrushed in a month, then you're, you're already starting to lose some of the the natural feel that you've got and the natural learning that you've got and the natural skill that you've got with the airbrush building up over all of your times of use. In fact, that's one of the reasons I try and keep one model project on the build bench and one model project in the paint booth at all times so that I don't go a month without touching an airbrush or I don't go a month without gluing pieces together, sanding, you know, stuff that sounds simple, but it's not really as simple as you think it is, because again, you 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 lose the skills or you try you find yourself trying to rush or whatever. The these skills are perishable. And just I think scratch building is a perfect example of that.
0: Well on the vein of that and applying it to the the E16, uh, I've successfully photo etched some parts for the first time, which is a skill I've always kind of been tempted by. So
1: I forgot that the, one.
0: Yeah, the E16 has photo etched dive brakes for the forward float struts now, and uh, they came out pretty good. You owe
1: me a set of them. I, I gave you some of those Fourth of July. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I think you did. I probably stuck them in the E16 kit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that was an interesting learning curve. And uh, actually, I was uh, fooling around with it again this past weekend. Make, I wasn't making model parts. I was just etching something for for grins and uh, trying a different uh, a different way of uh, generating the artwork on a printer. And I don't know. I didn't see a lot of difference. But I was, I was playing with it again because I intend to do more in the future. In fact, I've ordered from Granger here in the United States um, two five-packs of uh, shim stock sheet brass because you can get so much more for your money than buying from the uh, hobby stores.
1: Sure, sure.
0: In addition to that, I, I've learned to be a bit bolder with my weathering. I think that kind of was my goal on the PT seventy six, and I tried to carry that into the ZIS two and on the the little bo- bofers and the uh, Morris tractor too. So that's something else I've I've tried to learn. It just lends itself better to these newer techniques. It's it's just been a whole different learning process, and uh, I think I've enjoyed trying to learn that without the 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 uh, concern about Turn out this showstopper that I would have thought I had to turn out, you know, 10 years ago.
1: Sure. Well, and and you know what? The part of the fun is learning something new and mastering it. And like I said, on the bare metal on the AS-1, while it's far from perfect and it's it's not not my best model by far, when I got to the end of it, I saw the possibilities from it into the future. So that that's kind of inspiring. When you learn a new skill and you start to get the hang of it, or you can see where it's going, I think that, I don't know about you, but that fires up my modeling mojo.
0: Oh, certainly. And then kind of the, the last thing I would say that I've, I've, I've learned or just beginning to learn here coming in late in 2020 is uh actually playing around with some 3d printing now I've, I've showed it on the facebook page this this reba botan this hungarian army truck i'm interested in building uh, It's a fairly complex little truck I, I did the uh i did the chassis frame working with this uh contact i have in hungary who built this model in 16th scale for a radio control has been a big help and uh, he's helped me decipher some things in the in the uh, chassis drawings that are available but that, that those are the only drawings available no complete vehicle and uh he's helped me fix a few things i didn't have quite right and i i got to a point where i was like you know this is good enough to print and see if this stuff's going to paint and sand and uh hold weight and hold up to you know the rigors of uh, just model building and, and and gluing and sanding and all that that sort of thing so They came out pretty good, and I learned a few things. I I think uh, for that type of part, I'm going to keep the detail on it to a bare minimum and just try to print a robust chassis and then go back and put all the rivets and things on it myself later. Because trying to put that on the 3D model, the way this particular chassis has to be printed with all the support structure, so much of that is going to get fouled up by the support structure that uh, you're going to lose the detail and cleanup. So there's no sense putting it on there to begin with.
1: That makes perfect so, sense.
0: So we'll see how that goes. Is there any anything else in 2020 you want to talk about?
1: No, other than hell, I'm. I'm I feel almost feeling guilty. I'm having such a good time, especially <laughs> especially when the world's going to hell. Um, I know. So hey, you know, the, the God's blessing. I know that I probably wouldn't have held it together if it weren't for all of this. So, you know. Uh, I'm I'm happy as heck, and what I'm really looking forward to is 2021.
0: Well, we should say Merry Christmas to everybody because this is going to drop uh, at the end of the week here, and it's going to be the week before Christmas, and they're not going to hear from us again until 2021. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it, and uh, I hope your 2020 was successful. Send us some uh, some of your accomplishments for 2020, and tell us tell us how it went for you during this uh, the year of the lockdown.
1: Absolutely. We listen. The community is everything to the, to us and uh, on this podcast. So we definitely want to hear from you and you've been doing a good job of that. Uh, uh, particularly in the last couple of episodes, keep it coming. So Mike, uh, do you have a a final shout out of 2020?
0: Well, I want to acknowledge three more show supporters. Terry Wilkinson, Daniel Thorpe, and Tim Cavalier have all made uh, contributions to Plastic Model Mojo, and uh, really appreciate that, guys. Thanks a lot. That's really really starting to help out a lot. We've accumulated not a lot of money, but uh, enough to cover quite a bit of the expenses um, from, from this year and going into next year. And if anybody else out there would like to, to make a donation, please. Um, if you go to www.plasticmodelmojo.com, there's a little heart in the upper right-hand corner, and that will take you to a PayPal link that lets you make a PayPal contribution to us directly. Thank, thank you very much to everyone who's, who's donated to that, uh, through that, through that channel. It's very, very much appreciated, and it's really, really helping out a lot. So thank you. Thank you.
1: Absolutely. Wait a minute. You think you we saying we might almost get to break even in 2020 on this thing? That's fantastic. We might. Equipment
0: equipment price aside, we might.
1: Yeah, we we never imagined that that would even be possible. So thank you very much. And uh, that brings me to my shout out of the month. And that is the Plastic Model Mojo community as a whole. Um, I know I've said it a number of times tonight, but I can't say it enough. Uh, You guys are great. I love the interactions. I love talking with you. I love seeing what you're building. I love seeing your modeling fluids, whether it's chocolate milk or a, a very fine Weller bourbon like uh, Mike is uh, drinking. Uh, whatever it is, I, I'm just – it contributes so much more to um, my personal enjoyment of modeling – And I want to thank all of you for helping me out with that. And what I'm really looking forward to in 2021, the Christmas present I want, is the ability to go to model contests again and actually see many of you face-to-face at a model contest where we can sit around, hang out, maybe do some recording. But in any event, we can talk models. And frankly, there's nothing more fun than sitting around talking models.
0: All right. Well, Dave, I think that's about it.
1: I think it is, Mike. You know, we're coming to the end of 2020, and you know what they say. So many kids.
0: So little time, Dave. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. See you in the new year. All right.